Father, uh, would we be just that, a, a generation of people right now that seeks your face, seeks the face of, of the God that we see rolled out before us here in the, the book of Revelation, Father. We see your Son in, in his majesty and his glory as he explains himself to be the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. He calls himself the Almighty, which translates to mean El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us clean hands and a pure heart that that we might be able to seek your face in such a fashion, dear Father, that we would walk away from here with a, uh, a security within our hearts, uh, an understanding within our very soul that you are our Father who is in heaven and you have given us your Son so that we might be able to worship you with his righteousness, not the righteousness of our own, but his. And so, Lord, uh, we, we desire us strongly father that we would see your face would you please bless us dear father we pray in jesus precious name amen good morning would you please turn with me in your bibles uh, to the book of revelation the last book in the new testament we are in a, a wonderful 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 place of the word of god we have we have really seen our lord in in his majesty i had made mention in the weeks before that I would rather we did not necessarily see Jesus Christ as that baby born in a manger. Not right now. And that we would not see him as the man who walked the, the streets of Galilee and, and, and told people who he was and, 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 and assured them that he was the very Messiah that was to come. Even I would not li like us to see him that way right now. I believe what, what God wants us to see his son as is what we are seeing here in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Spoken, uh, read with me please verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. And before we do, I want you to know that we're going to have communion today. Um, someone came to me and said, can we have communion? Uh, and I said, sure, let's, 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 let's do it. And so you need to let me know when, when there's certain things that you'd like for us to do. I want to try and do it. Uh, this, isn't, this is our church. This is where we gather together and we worship together. And so we want to, to prepare our hearts to, to really hear who is this one that we worshiped. Um, and and I, wanna, I think I'm going to explain to him so well, but I want to also show you John. Because John, again, in verse 9, mentions his name. He does it in verse 4. He does it in verse 9, and then he does it at the end of this book, in the 22nd chapter, the 8th verse. It's, it's unprecedented that, that he would mention himself as much. But I want us to see what it is that he is trying to say to us, and, and, and I want, to see, want us to see how, how marvelous his life must mean to our lives. Let's try to find some comparison here. So please read with me verses 8 through 13. And today, at the end of this message, at the end of this service, we will have communion. It says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, 
who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John says in verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. John writes in verse 12, I I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. I want to stop here because I want us to go into communion later. And so I don't want to necessarily get into what he was wearing. As it says in verse 14, we will talk about his head, his hair, his eyes. Verse 15, his feet, his voice. Verse 16, his right hand, his mouth, his face. I want to explain these things and I want us to take time in understanding who is this one that's standing there before John. I want you to see him because... For us to see him for who he truly is, it'll really change our lives, our whole perspective. At least for those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Now if you're here this morning and you've not done that, we don't look down upon you. We're thankful that you're here. We just ask you to listen. We we ask you to listen and to to see what, what the Bible has to say to you about this one called Jesus. And we want you to stop thinking about religion and stop thinking about denominations, if you don't mind. And just center upon who is this one called Jesus and why is he so important to us as a church, to us as individuals. And we want you to see. It's very interesting. You know, I never did like that guy that held up that sign until now. Now, Jeff, I've... I I all of a sudden like the doggone guy uh, because he led you to Christ. And for that, I will forever be thankful. I will. Very interesting what God will use in all of our lives. So let's pray and then let's take a look at this wonderful section of Scripture and I think you'll see why communion today is going to be really relevant to us, really important. Father, we, we read your word with awe, and, and we thank you that, that we have the privilege at this point in time in our lives to make decisions. We can follow you, we cannot. We can, we can as the song that we just sang, pray for clean hands and a pure heart, We can ask that we would not follow any but the very God of Jacob. And and Lord, that is our choice. At this point in time, people are here this morning for various reasons, I'm certain. Some are here because just can't help themselves. They want to worship you. They look forward to each Sunday. Others are here maybe because of
a problem in their lives and, they, and they've turned to you, Father, because there's, they don't know where else to turn. And they're hoping that you would be able to have an answer. Others are here, Father, for just various reasons. Lord, for any preacher to try to reach the amount of, of reasons of why people are here would be foolhardy. There's no way I, I can do that. I don't believe anyone can. Only you. And so, for, Father, as we always do here, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our, our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We want the people in our church to see Jesus Christ and him alone. And so I ask that you would hide me from the, from the very essence of this message, that you would move me aside, that, that we would not see the one who is speaking, namely myself, but we would see the one that, that I am speaking about, namely your son. And so, Father, please do as you will. And we ask your blessings upon us. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. There's a challenge in verse 8. At least it was for me. I wrestled over whether this was God the Father or God the Son speaking in this passage. As you can see, it is critical to know. Look at verse 8 with me. The person speaking says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's great. I am, he says, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Oh my gosh, that's magnificent. He also says, I am the Almighty. That is El Shaddai, meaning the all-powerful God. In Genesis chapter 17, Abram had a visit from God. Abram was 99 years old, and God was about to make a covenant with Abram. As God came to Abram, it says when Abram was 99 years old in Genesis 17.1, it says that the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Same, El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. So he says to Abram, I want you to walk before me and be blameless. Lord, give me clean hands. Lord, give me pure heart. Let me not follow other gods. So who is this here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 that is making this statement to John? It's critical to know. I want you to find out with me who it is. Turn with me to the end of this great book, the book of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, and we will see who it is that is making this statement to John. I think most of you know, but let's find out for certain. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, we see a confirmation of who this is. It says in verse 12, Behold... I am coming quickly. Okay, now, you and I have been studying. Who is that? Who is the one who is coming quickly? It's Jesus. 
Make no mistake about that. That is the one who is coming quickly. Now, we have also learned, as we've studied these last couple of weeks, about the word quickly. It doesn't mean quick in time. It means suddenly. It means without warning. So to understand the the time and the hour when Jesus Christ comes, we don't know. Only the Father knows, and He's not revealing that. But we do know something now. We know that the one who says, Behold, I am coming quickly, is none other than Jesus Christ. And he also says he has a reward with him to render to everyone according to what they have done. Then he says these very similar words to what we have just read in chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, just as he said in chapter 1 and verse 8. I am the first and the last, the one who is, the one who, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. And he says, I am the beginning and I am the end. And so with that in mind, and we look back at chapter 1 and verse 8, who can question the deity of Jesus Christ? You've got to have a hidden agenda to do so. And who can question that he will accomplish everything that he has made promises to do here within this book. Not just the the book as a whole, yes, all of those promises, but specifically he is talking about the promises that he is making here in the book of Revelation. And what are those promises? What does his promises mean to me that he is God Almighty? In other words, he is El Shaddai. He is the all powerful God who presented himself to Abram years and years and years ago. Well, he is the one who is the first and the last. He is the one who was in the beginning and also will be in the end, but he is more than that. Please don't forget this, because we just studied it. And and if you don't concentrate on the things that he has promised us, We can miss so many blessings. Look at verse 5 again. We saw that Jesus Christ revealed himself in three three different ways. He said that, well, let me read it to you. But he revealed himself in his credibility, his authority, and his sovereignty. Remember? Look at verse 5. He says, from Jesus Christ, number one, he is the faithful witness. Number two, he is the firstborn of the dead. Number three, he is the ruler of the kings of this earth. But it doesn't stop there. To him, it says, to him who loves us and has released us from our sins. How? By and through his blood. I mean, This is the one who is making his promise to forgive you of your sin. If you're investigating, why do I give my heart to Jesus Christ? It is because he is El Shaddai. He's not the baby necessarily born in the manger. Yes, he is, but not in this case. He's not the man that walked the streets of Galilee. Yes, he is, but not in this case. In this case, he is the risen Savior. He is the risen Lord. He is El Shaddai. He is God all-powerful. And he has, well, first he says he loves you and he has released you from your sins through his blood, by his blood. So when we take communion at the end of this service, 
I want you to consider that. You and I are remembering, as Jesus asked the disciples to do, and for all of us that will ever take communion, He is asking us to remember. Remember what He has done for us, but also remember who He is. El Shaddai. God Almighty. Who can perform anything that He has promised you and me. Giving us everlasting life for those of us who have trusted and believed in Him. Okay, that, that's the one that we worship. That's the one that we just saying, Lord, give us clean hands. Lord, give us a pure heart. Now what about John? This is critical for you and me to understand what John is all about right now because we're going to see an insight that, well, from what I understand, is not always taught in every church. But let us see what it says of John. I told you in verse 4, John introduces himself. Verse 9, John introduces himself. Chapter 22, verse 8, John again says, I, John. But here in verse 9, he says, watch. I, John, your brother, that means your brother in the Lord, and, very critical, your fellow partaker in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance which is in Jesus Christ. John says, if you read it with me correctly, we are Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we are all in this together. We are fellow partakers. You see, to one degree or another, every single one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior share in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance that is in Jesus Christ. We are fellow partakers. We're in this together. Now I want you to look at the fate of John. Not his faith, not F-A-I-T-H, but his F-A-T-E, his circumstances. He is on the island called Patmos. It's a six by ten in miles island. It's much like Alcatraz, but as I hear it anyways, much worse. It was considered inescapable. They didn't put walls around this island. They just sent prisoners there that were the worst of the worst because it was a rocky, desolate, barren place. And John is on the island of Patmos. What for? Well, let's read. Look at, look at verse 9 again. John, who is our brother, our fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and the perseverance which is in Jesus Christ, he is now on the island called Patmos because he was a bad, bad person. No, no. Can you believe it? He's on the island of Patmos because of the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on, Jesus, give us a break. This guy's doing good for you, and you allow him to be sent on an island, a desolate, barren place? What, can, what good can happen to him there? Oh. Oh, yeah, he could write the book of Revelation there, couldn't he? And he could bless 
millions of people. You see, when he was in Rome, he was preaching the gospel, tradition tells us, to their citizens. They wished to silence him. They wanted nothing of him preaching of Jesus. So they put him on trial. They, they sent him to the island of Patmos because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus still wishes and will use him. This imprisonment of John just as it was with Paul and anyone else we can read of that was honoring the Lord, allowed our Lord to do His greatest work through that individual who's going through what most of us would consider the most miserable of times. Separated from family, separated from friends, on a barren and desolate island, suffering. Think with me now, please. Let's not move on. Let's think. Is it not amazing how God often uses our times of greatest pain and suffering to pour out His greatest blessings? Now, I don't believe for an instant that John realized how greatly he was going to be used by God at that time. Nor do I believe that you, nor myself, believe that God is going to use us mightily through whatever difficulties it is that you and or I might be going through. Yet God says what He wants from you and me is to remain faithful through our difficulties. As Genesis 17.1, when God came before Abram and said, Abram, I want you to walk before me blameless. He says the same to you and me. Give us clean hands, dear Lord. Are you singing that song from your heart or are you just singing words? Give us clean hands, O Lord. Give us a pure heart. Let us not give our heart to another. And so when we go before Lord in communion, that ought to be our prayer. Because we are having communion with God Almighty, El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. Paul wrote in Philippians, look, I've learned, Paul says, I've learned how to be content in every circumstance that I've found myself. It's a learning process. Nobody expects you and me to hear this and, and say, oh yeah, I can do that. Oh yeah, I can be content in, in difficult situations. No, you'll have to learn to do it. It is a learning process. And so as you learn to, to understand that you need to, and I need, we need to be content in whatever circumstances we are, we need to understand that just because we might be going through what is, seems to be at this time for you one of the darkest hours you've ever gone through, it, it might feel like hell to you. I want you to know, through John, not through me, that God will not nor cannot use you even though you might be going through the most difficult of times nor does it mean that He has left you alone no matter what it is you're going through. He hasn't, you know. On this dreary island called Patmos, 
which seems to be inescapable. It was barren. It was bleak. God was still there with John. And I want to tell you this. He is there with you too. Whatever deserted island it is that you may be going through right now, we want you to believe that. I don't want you to miss this point either. It states in verse 9 that John was banished to this terrible place of exile because of the word of God and the testimony. In other words, John was in the will of God, doing what God would have him to do, and still he had to go through trials. I am sick and tired of preachers that preach with enough faith. With enough faith, you won't have to go through any trials. With enough faith... You will have all kinds of money coming. That is a lie right from the very pit of hell. The men and people who preach that, do they not read their Bibles? What do they think of John? Was John in sin because he was on this island of Patmos? How do they reason that? How do they reason Paul? How do they reason all the wonderful saints who went through terrible, terrible times walking with God? Listen, don't let anybody make you fall into that trap thinking that you're a bad person because you are going through whatever it is that you're going through. No, if if the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you of your sin and you have confessed it before Him, you are walking in the Spirit of God. And you are a godly person who happens to be going through difficulties. And Paul says you can learn to be content even in these difficult times. And Paul says, no, John says, that God will still be with you and God will still use you in the midst of those difficulties. You see, the enemy of Jesus Christ thought that this place would finally silence John. Now they're through with him. But it only became a time and a place that God would magnify and multiply his message to the world. Who knows how many people have been saved I mean, goodness, if we're saved through a guy holding a sign, I'm sorry, I, got, I can't get over that. If, if we're saved by that guy, how many of, of us will be saved or deepened in our walk because of the very Word of God that we study out of the book of Revelation? Listen, God is going to accomplish His work in and through your life and my life, no matter the circumstances, if we will Remain faithful. I want you to know something else. I said to you when we first started this, we're going to be on for a bumpy ride because Satan's not going to like us studying through this book. And he's certainly not going to like us to study through it with as, as purely as we know how. And so there's going to be difficulties come. That's just what happens. I know that John knew when he was in Rome preaching the gospel, if he continued this, He was going to have to have trials. He knew that. He chose to do so. Our role is much like John's. And that is to trust in God rather than to trust in any opposition. I wrote down for you up on the wall, uh, on the board there, uh, Psalms uh, 56, is it? Yes, verses 4 and 11. And Psalms 118, verse 6. I would love for you to, to look through them. Psalm 56 is is David. David writes this psalm because he is under siege by the Philistines for killing the Goliath. And and they're they're trying to to just run him down. 
And here's what David writes. In Psalm 56, verse 4, David says, In God, whose word I praise, in God, whom I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. Because he says, what can mere man do to me? Verse 11 is basically the same. He says, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? In other words, since I am trusting in God, what can a person do to me when God is for me? It says in the Bible, if he is for you, who can be against you? In Psalms 118, it's the very center of the Bible. It's, it's of God's saving grace. It, the one verse I, amongst many, if you read through it, you'd see there's many verses that would encourage you in Psalms 118, verse 6. Verse 6 says, The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's, that's the point. John is on the island of Patmos. He knew that there was probably going to be some sort of a trial if he continued to preach the gospel, but he, he thought in his heart, what can, what can mere man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? So it says in verse 10, a very interesting statement, in the Spirit on the Lord's day, John says he heard behind him a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now, in the Spirit does not refer to being in a state of, uh, of religious ecstasy. ecstasy. It, it, it's, it simply is a person under the Spirit's control. It is what we are going to do at the end of this service. It is to ask the Lord, is there any sin in my life? If the Holy Spirit convicts us, then we, we hopefully, faithfully and, and willingly say, yes, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong, forgive me of my sin and repent from whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has convicted us of. And then and there we walk in the Spirit. We are filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ at that moment in time. But perhaps it's better explained by what Jesus said at the woman at the well. It's, she was a Samaritan, he was a Jew. He asked her for water. She said, oh, what are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for, for help. And, and he said, woman, in verse 23 of chapter 4 of John, he says, an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, Jesus said to this woman, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And then he said in the next verse, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is the truth. And walking in the Spirit is, is, is void of, of sin in your life. Confessing those things that you have done wrong before God. And so John is worshiping the Lord in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And what he was doing was simply worshiping the majesty and the greatness of his God. And then, like a sound, a loud sound of a trumpet, by the way, throughout the book of Revelation, we won't... Can you flip up that, that, that uh, screen for us, please? Throughout the book of Revelation, we're going to be talking about the sounds of, of God. And they're always loud because that draws attention to them. That was the purpose of them being loud. And, and, and I just chose one, two, three, four, five, six of them. There, there must be 
20. If you start looking through the book of Revelation, you will see said over and over again, there was a loud voice. There was a loud voice. It was sound of a trumpet. You'll see that over and over again. And, and every time it's there, it indicates that there is a seriousness about what is to be revealed. It's reminiscent. It says up there, the sound of God in Exodus 19.16. That was on the, the mount and the law given at Sinai. It says there was thunder, there was lightning, there was flashes, and there was thick clouds upon the mountain. And then they said there was a very loud trumpet sound, and all the people in the camp trembled. It, there was something serious about to be said or done. And then it appears, because John wrote of the things that he saw, that Jesus must have taken him into heaven itself. Now, I know that sounds incredible. But we serve, we serve an incredible God. But regardless of where or how John saw all of this, note what it says in verse 11. Jesus tells John to write what he sees. He says, write this in a book and send it to the seven churches. And the seven churches that were chosen we will study in chapters 2 and 3. And they're going to be glorious studies because we're going to learn a lot of what we ought to be doing and we're going to learn a lot about what we ought not to do. And we ought to discard anything that we may be doing that we ought not to do. And we ought to center on the very things that we ought to be doing. It's going to be a great study. But the seven churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven churches. And so John turns. And he sees Jesus Christ standing among the seven golden lampstands, it says. It says he's holding seven stars in his hands. I mean, really, don't you want to know what all of that means? I've, it's going to be incredible to find out what all of this means. His hair, his eyes, his hands, his feet. We're going to see all about him. We're going to see Jesus Christ as never seen before. Not within Scripture, as we will be seeing him here in the book of Revelation. Look at look what it says. Well, I already read it. Verse 12 and 13. I, ta I turned, I saw the voice. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Note verse 13. Very important. In the middle of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. It tells us how He was clothed. What does it mean? Well, the Bible always explains itself. We just need to be patient. It explains itself sometimes sooner than later. This time it explains itself almost immediately. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, here's the mystery. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, they're the churches. So now we know. John gives us a picture, the best picture we have of Jesus Christ in these verses coming up. And we see the glory and we see the greatness of the Lord. We see His majesty, the one we are about to take communion with. He is not just... It's hard because you can't... How can you say He's not? But the baby, 
the man that we always recognize Jesus as because we see him throughout most of Scripture. Here in the book of Revelation, he is the risen Lord. He is El Shaddai in all of his power, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. And we see him, note, in verses 12 and 13, standing in the middle of the seven lampstands. That means in the middle of the churches. So we see Jesus, by the way, any of the ushers, would you mind coming out and start passing out the uh, uh, communion for us, please? What we see in verse 13 is that Jesus Christ is in the middle of the churches. Folks, that is central to who we are as a church. What is being said here in verse 13 is key to any and every church that opens its door. To see Jesus Christ in the middle of the church means he is the central figure of a church. He is the authority within the church. I want to tell you what I believe is the greatest need within the church family today. And that is that we see Jesus Christ. That he is central. Let me give you a clue. When I, when I start my, my services and I always pray, Lord, Move me aside. Hide me behind the wonders of your word. You've heard me say that, right? I say that for a reason, and this is it. I do not want, well, the major, one of the major reasons I did is I learned that from Dr. Uh, Jack MacArthur, John MacArthur's father up in Eugene, Oregon. He always said that. And what I learned, as I say the same thing, is that I do not want any of us to... to to kind of idolize the, the person that is speaking. I want us to idolize the one we are speaking about. And so I think the person that is speaking is irrelevant. What I want you to see is Jesus Christ, who is the central figure of this church. He ought to be the central figure of this church for our congregation to see Jesus Christ. He ought to be the central figure. Uh, a feature or a figure within your home, within your work, within your school, wherever you are. May I tell you a story before we have communion? This Saturday, yeah, Saturday, yesterday, okay, my wife made a breakfast for myself and our family. Uh, the kids came over, the grandkids came over. In the middle of, of the breakfast, we were having a great time. Kay made a great breakfast. And we were having a, just a great time. And, and my son says, Alex, Alex is my granddaughter who's 12, Tell Papa and Keiki what happened to you at school this past week. So I want to find out. You know, I'm, I'm all ears. And so, and so she starts telling us that there's this girl that she made a friend with, but this girl is kind of really, really tough. Very, very physically tough. And, and they were, but they got to be friends, and this, this girl that is tough was impressed that, that Alex, our granddaughter, really befriended her. And then all of a sudden, because of a change of classes, she had to get out of her class and go to different classes. This is a long story. I won't get into this part. Sufficient to say this girl got mad at my, my granddaughter only for a couple of days. And then later she walked up to her with tears in her eyes, the tough girl in the school, and said, I want to know God like you know God. That was worth breakfast. I said, Alex, what happened? 
She said, Papa, I've never really led a person to Christ before. I said, what did you say then? She said, I remembered when we went to camp how our, our pastors led all of us to Christ for those that didn't know the Lord and told them how to pray and to ask Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins. I said to her that. And I asked how he asked to ask them into her hearts, and I asked her to do that. And she said, yes, she wanted to. And then I asked her to pray, and she didn't know how to pray. And I said, well, pray with me. Twelve-year-old girl. I thought to myself a couple of things, many things. But one thing I thought, you know, we're having trouble financially right now as a church. You know that. Uh, if, if you don't, we are. But, and so we're, we, we might cancel some of our camps. We can't cancel our camps. We can't. We can't. We can't. We can cancel some things. But we can't cancel, cancel our camps. These kids are, are learning priceless stuff at these camps. And so I was just enthralled by my granddaughter. I mean, I didn't need any more ammunition, but that was pretty good. And I thought to myself, the greatest need in our life is to see Jesus Christ, whether it be in your church or in your home. And I looked around that table, and my six-year-old grandson has asked Christ into his heart. My 12-year-old granddaughter has my son has and his wife has. My daughter and son who are Olympia have and both of their children, both of our grandkids have. And I thought, God, I don't want any more in life. This is plenty. What more could anyone ask for? It is the purpose of our church and for you that we see Jesus that we see him as the central, very middle of our church, the person in authority. And we desire ultimately and solely that you and I see Jesus. And we build him within our lives in all that we do and all that we are, period. We don't have to have a lot of other rules, folks. We just have to center our hearts and our minds upon Jesus Christ. When Jesus was with his disciples, as, as kind of as right now we're all talking together, he held up some bread. By the way, you can do this at home if you want to, with your family. With your family at, at home, you can have, if you're having dinner or lunch, you can have bread on the table, juice on the table, and you say, hey, wait, let's stop, everybody. Let's pray. And you can break some bread, and you can give each one one, and you can say, let's remember. Let's remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And that's what he said to his disciples. He said, look, I don't think he said look, but he said whatever he said. He said to them, this is my body. I'm going to sacrifice it for you. He says, whenever you eat of this bread, eat of it in remembrance of myself. In other words, remember what I've done for you. In connection with today, remember, He loves you. He has released you from your sins through His blood. But it's not just He, it is El Shaddai. It is the all-powerful God who has done this for you and me. And so when you take of this bread, remember who he is. 
Shortly thereafter, he had some wine. And they had wine and they were about to drink and he held up his glass and he said to them, this is my blood. He says, I will have a new covenant with you. New covenant is that when I shed my blood upon the cross, it will be for the forgiveness of your sin. He says, when you drink of this wine, when you drink of this juice, do so in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you. I've, I've taken upon myself your sin. I, I'm going to die for you so that you may live eternally. And you now can go before the Father with my righteousness, he said. Not at that point, he didn't say that, but basically that's what he teaches and so he says, when you drink of this wine or juice, drink of it in remembrance of who I am in your life. Consider him. When you walk from here, you have El Shaddai living within your heart if you know him as your Savior. If you don't, please come to know him. Do this in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, we can't thank you enough. It's, it, it, it's purely impossible. I guess all you've asked us to do, though, in thanking you is just to trust, trust in you. But goodness, Father, you've given us your Son, and he, he has demonstrated to any and all of us who would just listen to him that he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, he is the one who was, who is, and the one who is to come. He has promised to love us and release us from our sins through his blood. Thank you, Father, for that. Now bless us as we go from here, wherever you may take us. Bless us. And thank you, Father, for everybody in this church. I absolutely love them more than life itself. Father, Father, watch over us, please. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all. You won't want to miss next week. I'm not just saying that. Uh, you'll want to see who Jesus is more clearly. You'll see it next week.